Test, test. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm back online. Not bad. Not bad. <sighs> so, I am back, sitting in front of my beautiful, <laughs> beautiful MacBook. <laughs> ah, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just messing around here. I just enjoy the fact that this device is still working pretty well. Um, where was I? What is new? I just wanted to give you guys an update because I feel like talking. And I haven't really spoken to anybody recently at all. Um, because basically I'm just isolated um, still in, in my own project world and the world of arts. Um, working in the company as my day job has become a bit more difficult because of current uh, government-based regulations in terms of, you know, COVID-19 and uh, trying to prevent a further spread of that disease, which is uh, almost redundant at this point because the government made some massive mistakes. <laughs> we have to face some kind of punishment for it, you know. The consequences will be, at least that's what the government tells us. Um, currently, just to give you an update of what the situation in Germany is, because I heard other countries are being warned to travel to us to visit Germany because we are a very critical COVID-19 hotspot zone, which might be true. I can't really say for sure because um, the fact of the matter is that the hospitals claim that they're full, you know, that all their um, all their beds and, and stations are used up with COVID-19 patients, which I really don't understand the logic here behind that claim. Because what strikes me as odd is if if you're in a hospital, let's say you get, you know, diagnosed with some some minor uh, uh, tissue problem, maybe an organ is, is making trouble and it needs to be removed, like, like uh, let's say, your appendix, okay, <laughs> or your tonsils, or uh, in my case, you get some abdominal surgery, like I had a couple of years ago. Um, that is normally being done within a few days, and then you can leave, so it's not really something uh, important. You're not a, a threatening case, to anyone and uh, you, you don't have to be hospitalized for three weeks or four and you you have more intensive care of emergency patients who are at the brink of dying because of cancer because of heart surgery brain surgery you know that kind of stuff and they uh they they use specific rooms or a, a department of that building of, of a hospital building to treat these patients accordingly, to isolate them from anything else that might be infectious to them, just to separate. You don't need the normal people who just, you know, don't really suffer. They have a problem, it gets fixed, they go home, end of story. The bigger, more intense things that need to be taken care of, especially when people have an accident, you know, uh, terrible uh, life-threatening car accidents and all that kind of stuff where you lose limbs and whatnot, you know, you barely make it out alive, then you you land on these uh, specific uh, departments for intensive care, you know, 
I don't remember the English word for it, I'm sorry. But you know what I'm talking about. So the beds are basically always kind of full anyways with these kinds of patients and these problematic surgeries. Now they're telling you that all beds are full because of the COVID patients if they use them up for them, which is like how much? 20%, 30% of those beds? Maybe 40 So the statement that they give in the media is not really believable for me personally. Something is wrong with that statement. At least I feel like there is something wrong. Um, or maybe I'm not really capable of, of understanding the message clearly. You know, that could be... That could be true, you know. It's it's just uh, more annoying these days than ever before that the government is trying to threaten everybody forcibly to take the vaccine, which a lot of people still do not want to do. I, for one, I wanted to get an appointment with my doctor to get more uh, clarification on the circumstances of uh, the COVID vaccine as it is today, but... Um, I also stumbled across some interesting facts that um, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, for example, has been forbidden, as far as I understand. It's not being uh, injected to anyone anymore because it's not working. So with rising concern, some a good portion of the German population is not willing to take the vaccine or the other products of that vaccine line because of distrust. Now, if you look at countries like Italy, for example, the Italians wanted to get vaccinated as soon as possible. The reason for that is because in Italy, first of all, you have a large portion of elderly people in the public, okay, because Italians have a good life. They know exactly what they're doing. They enjoy life. They don't work as much as Germany does. And I don't want to be disrespectful to Italy, but... If you compare the two, you will instinct you will instantly find uh, that the biggest difference is their working ethics in comparison to Germany. Germany it, that doesn't mean that we work better. Uh, no, we we don't. But we work longer, savagely. I would almost say to a point where um, the in, in Germany, you know, you have the mentality that you live to work. But the Italians like to think in their mentality that we work to live. And there's a huge difference between the two cultures in this regard. And I think the Italians are completely correct with their point of view of how to live your life accordingly. But, uh, you know, try to explain that to a German. You, you can speak to a fucking wall here. <clears throat> anyway, um, uh, the Italians... I think, from my observation, I would say that they reacted very emotionally to the COVID outbreak. So they instinctively wanted to have uh, the, the, the vaccine as soon as possible, trusting that it would work. Um, I'm not sure how many people are lying in the hospital in Italy. I'm not sure if any of the data that you can receive is actually true. Um, you have to be a bit more careful these days whom to trust and whom not to trust. It's a very delicate mess out there. And currently in Germany, because of uh, certain laws in the constitution of our country, the government has no right to force any human being living in Germany to be subject to some kind of medical experiment or let's say being forced to take a medication 
against your will. There is a law for that. It's, it's like you have your free will, you have the freedom of living your life the way you see fit, and the government cannot touch that. At least that's the official version of it and the interpretation of most people. However, the government is trying to effectively cause fear and lots of panic to the population, which uh, equals in a furious behavior of, of most people in, 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 in all sorts of states in the country. And they are resisting, as far as I know, pretty, pretty roughly to, uh, to the following statement of the government recently. And uh, the politician, for example, called Mr. Suda, who is, you know, pretty, he's, he's responsible for Bavaria in some shape or form. I'm not quite sure what his job actually is, but, you know, he's the, he's the spokesperson for, for Bavarian, uh, you could say, security in terms of the COVID pandemic. And he claims that he wants to see a law, or let's say not a, let's not call it a law, but he wants to see forced injections of COVID to all people in the country by January 1st which means he's trying to bypass the law, the Constitution, the German Constitution, and the federal court needs to approve that. But the media doesn't talk about that. That's the funny thing. The media only gives you the information that soon there will any kind of resistance will be futile. You will be forced to take the vaccine, like it or not. It's going to be, you will, you will receive a penalty most likely if you don't. But nobody talks about the federal court still being in play and they need to approve of this decision. They can't just, you know, overrule the federal court and just do whatever they want. But they're trying. And that's scary because I don't know how successful they are going to be. In my perspective, it's just causing more fear, more anger as of now to destabilize the resistant if they're successful, I guess uh, a large portion of people will take the vaccine either way. But a few percent still won't get vaccinated because they don't believe they need to. And that's the problem here. Does anyone have the right to tell these people what to do? Does anyone have the right to force them to take any kind of medication or vaccine in order to supposedly live better lives? Uh, I, I would really be careful in answering this question with a big yes. Because it's not that easy. It's really not that easy. If any kind of medication is proved to be 100% safe, or let's say 99 or 98% safe, then I would suggest, you know, you could give this product a chance. But right now, it doesn't seem to be that way. Um, at least... I have no reason to trust this system, and the media looks very artificially designed in terms of, of broadcasting this information and uh, making you believe that you don't have a choice, which is, like I said, kind of scary, and I'm not quite sure what the outcome will be. I can only hope that for the sake of anyone's individual freedom, that the federal court will not rule in the favor of the government, because if they do... Well, there will be hell to pay. Because let's face it, if somebody takes the vaccine because they were forced to, 
And the result is a massive health issue of some kind. I'm not saying that it's always the case, but some people actually do have bad luck and their body reacts negatively to, to the substance and they suffer from it. Um, a few people in our area have dropped because of it. They're not all dead, but they have issues. Like I said, their body doesn't really uh, process the uh, vaccine that well. And if they do the, develop uh, more more negative side effects, let's say for the for a, a certain portion of the public, who's going to pay for that? If the government says you have to take it, then I assume uh, if it's a life and death situation for some unfortunate individuals, there would be a lawsuit following up to that, forcing the government to pay these people some kind of, uh, some kind of, I don't know, um, it's, try to make it up to them somehow, you know, giving them excuse money or something, <laughs> trying to make their lives better and, and, you know, covering all the medical bills and shit like that. I'm not sure if the government really is willing to go that far, to take that risk, you know. It's, uh, it's a bit fishy in, in my eyes, and I didn't really want to talk about that subject, but it pisses me off because there is no end to this, to this nonsense. It's just, um, it's really pathetic the way it's being done and handled, especially all these decisions being made that uh, every company has to forcibly test or force... Uh, employees to get tested all all the time every day to ensure that everything is all right i mean okay i can understand the reasoning behind that but there we have better solutions for that kind of problem if we would actually put our heads together and make it work because all of those decisions and and uh, plans that the government had in this regard to keep people safe have failed so what the fuck are we doing here, okay? I'm not convinced that anything is really working. But that's another story. We have to wait what happens until uh, mid-December, I guess, to get more details on this crazy development. Let's see what happens. Let's see if the federal court will be even mentioned in the next few days. I'm still waiting for that to happen. Uh, some other news... Uh, one of my so-called friends, who are not my friends really, but, you know, um, a guy who has massive relationship issues, he did something quite remarkably funny recently. He decided to get a fishing license to fish officially in Germany. And yes, in case you're listening closely to what I'm saying, in Germany you need a license to be allowed to fish. That's not a joke. It's part of Germany because Germany is a very interesting company. <laughs> uh, did I say company? Yeah, it's, it's more a company than a country. Um, I don't know why that's the case. I think they might fear that if you fish uh, on your own volition and just do whatever you want with a fishing rod, you go any place to any sea, any lake, and just fish until you drop and by that, you would disturb the natural order of things in, uh, in nature's own habitat. It could be a reason why fishing like this has to be regulated. I'm not completely convinced that it's actually a good thing to do that because it's kind of redundant. But, you know, that's the way uh, 
bureaucracy works in Germany, you need laws and rules and licenses for fucking everything. So, um, he did that because he's unhappy in his life, you know. Uh, he wants a fishing license because he needs some off time from his newly created uh, family. He's a father of a, of a, of a toddler. Um, his wife is not happy. And it doesn't really um, look the way he wants her to look. You know, there's no sexual appeal in some form. He doesn't like to have sex with her as far as I'm concerned. And that's at least what I've gathered from my observation. They really dislike each other. And uh, this is one of these typical examples of a failed marriage that is almost crumbling to the ground. And he does the only thing that he can do in his little primitive mind that <laughs> in order to evade any family duties, or let's say spending too much time with the family, he decides during winter to make a fishing license, <laughs> to just find a reason to not be home. Um, that's funny. <laughs> that's really funny. You know, that's rich coming from someone who thinks he has it made and, and thinks he knows what he's doing in life, and then he does this. Uh, that's just pathetic. Uh, I don't know what to, what to think. If I'd be his wife, I would leave instantly. Because, I mean, I'm not saying she's perfect or anything, but she is trying, and she's a very uh, surprisingly kind human being. A little dorky, but still very kind. And she tries anything she can. And she, the, only, the main job that she has is taking care of the kid and clean the house. You know, cooking, uh, buying groceries. And her husband, uh, this, this dude here, I don't want to... I don't want to dignify him by calling his name, but um, the only thing that he really appreciates is food on the table and his own peace and quiet and not be disturbed when he plays games or drinks. So that's a weird guy, really. He, did, he used to be a bit um, more positive, I think. As far as I can remember, he was a bit more, um, let's say, communicatively open. Um, not that bitter to begin with. He was satisfied with the job he had and the life he was living. And right now it seems like he's not satisfied at all with anything. And he, uh, he lets you feel it. You know, he's, he becomes bitter. And I think the older he's, he's going to get, the worse it's going to become. Until to a point where, you know, whatever. Uh, their relationship will probably fall apart. And I think it's for the best if, if it actually does. Some people do not belong together because it doesn't work. The people are too different. Everybody expects something different. I mean, I had that experience myself. This guy is going to make his experience sooner or later anyway, automatically, because that's apparently what he's aiming for. And I could talk ages about this kind of stuff. I've met so many people with, with uh, relationship issues that were so massive I really think that my relationship was like a piece of cake in comparison. <laughs> so, and mine was horrible, man. I don't want to be there anymore. But let's let's give it a rest, I think. Um, I think it's, it's, it's better if uh, some people do actually get separated before a bigger damage is being done to either one of them or to the baby, you know, it depends. It really depends how they treat each other, and the outcome can be uh, vastly different, of course, 
but the damage is always done either way. So, let's leave it at that. Um, I am a little update on Unihertz. I'm still very disappointed in the so-called Chinese company and innovators. Unihertz, they do have interesting phones, but my little physical keyboard um, Titan Pocket is still unusable. There is still no update in sight of any software fix that could possibly get the terrible Wi-Fi connection in order again and make it work. I am not quite sure why. It appears that they have shifted their focus to a different model altogether, most likely to make more money. Um, there's nothing bad about that. You know, you got to live from something, bring out more devices. That's cool. But their support for the Titan Pocket is a joke. The Titan Pocket is an interesting phone. I would have loved it to be a working, uh, everyday working horse device. My daily driver, because the size is perfect. It reminds me of the good old Blackberry days. But I cannot use it for the life of me in my private life because I heavily depend on a stable, working, Wi-Fi fucking connection. And Unihertz is not able to provide that, so I'm selling the phone. I pretty much had enough. Uh, I am not looking forward to buy another Unihertz product. I don't think it's a good idea to do so. Uh, I'm not saying that you shouldn't uh, buy one yourself. Make your own experience if you want. Um, I'm personally done with that. I would like to try out a different outdoor rugged phone brand because I do like this kind of stuff. I think a phone should be durable as hell. Uh, if I want to bash somebody's head in, the phone should actually do that job and not just, you know, be like a sensible iPhone. If I drop it, it's going to be fucked. Or let's say Samsung or LG or any other of these, you know, dumbass products that nobody really needs. I hate the phone market these days. I think it's a pretty huge waste of time and a massive disappointment in in all sorts of aspects, really. I think we should all just stop buying those those phones every year, just buy one device and use it for five years. If that doesn't work, I'll give you three to four years. How about that? And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what else to do at the moment. It's, I don't want to waste my time with this shit. That's, that's all. I'm, I'm, I'm sick and tired of it. So I'm selling the phone. I'm keeping the old Titan as a daily driver. And somehow, somewhere, someday in the future, I might be able to purchase a device that I could use for a longer period of time with a massive battery and just enough processing power to get me through the day. Um, I don't need it to do much. It just has to work, for fuck's sake. It's supposed to work without flaws, without any negative experiences. It has to fucking work because people depend uh, today on these devices more than ever before. And there's a good reason why, especially now with this, you know, uh, social distancing and all that crap and, you know, face diapers that we have to wear. We, we sit on a couch, we sit in our homes or maybe outside in a park or somewhere where we don't bother anybody, but we want to stay connected to those that we know and love and maybe more than that. So if your device is not working and you just get fed up with it, what's the point, right? I mean, without internet, without this kind of technology, it's almost impossible to imagine that you're still alive. 
and functioning as a human being without your fucking phone, right? It's, uh, it's a weird time we live in today. It's a really weird time. What else is new? Oh, yeah, let me rant a little bit about um, my work. Well, not ranting, really. I am, um, I think I'm going to get myself a whiskey or something. No, wait, wait. Sit tight, I'll be right back. I just, uh, I forgot that I, I, I bought two bottles of Greek sweet wine, and I will open one of those bottles right fucking now. Give me a second. Okay, I'm back. Thank God for the pause button. I have a glass of wine. Ah, feels much better now, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry about that. Do you hear this? Yeah, you do. The microphone is receiving the noise over the table. It's much better now. I can't really live without alcohol. I am an alcoholic. It's it's true. I am so sorry. And no, I'm not. I'm not sorry. I don't care. I like drinking. When um when I'm working, I drink. When I play, I drink. When I uh, think about something that I want to do soon afterwards, I don't drink during breakfast. <laughs> I try not to. But just recently, I ordered. Let me get my phone because I don't remember all those names. I ordered from Amazon five bottles of whiskey recently because of Black Friday. That was the only thing I was interested in. I ordered a new printer as well because the old one is probably not um, not good enough anymore for certain um, applications. If I want to send them away, I need something a bit more stylish in, in design when I want to do that. So I decided to invest some money in a printer. It's not here yet, but, you know, it's just as a side note, I have, I spend too much money right now, but there are things I need to pay, so, you know, what can I do? It's, it's, you don't get anything for free these days, you know, you got to pay for every fucking thing. And uh, if I jump into my Amazon app, I can tell you exactly how many whiskeys I bought and why. First of all, most of them, or maybe all of them are single malts, because why the fuck not? You know, if you want to buy something really uh, unique in taste, I think single malts are the way to go. Where are my orders now? Just a second. It's loading. It's loading. Don't worry. I'm, I'm still here. And today I received four of these five bottles, and I'm quite happy that they came intact. I, I paid 150 bucks for all of these bottles, which is kind of cheap if you consider the fact that I bought... Um, for example, a Talisker, it's an, it's a single malt, they claim it's a scotch, but I think it's an Irish whiskey, I don't know why it's called scotch. No, it's, I'm sorry, it's not an Irish, well, anyway, (laughs) I I mixed it up, I apologize. Uh, the Talisker is a smoky whiskey that I do like to drink, but I think the Kilcoman is still better. I couldn't get the Kilcoman for a cheaper price for Black Friday, so I ordered this one. A 10-year-old Talisker, then a, um, a Dalwini, 15 years old, Highland single malt scotch whiskey. 
which I had before, I think last year. I like the taste. It's a great whiskey, so I ordered it again for a price of 30 bucks for the bottle, which is not much, really. And I ordered three more whiskeys that I've never tried before. The other one is a, a Clenellish 14-year-old Highland Single Malt Scotch whiskey and a Kaol Isla whiskey, 12 years old. I don't know the Kaol Isla. Never heard that name before. But uh, I thought, you know, if, if it's a single malt, who knows what it might taste like. It could be really good or it could be slightly awful. In most cases, a single malt is really enjoyable. And uh, I recommend anyone who's interested in whiskey to try one. Uh, so these two, the Clenellish and the Kaol Isla, is something really new to me. Never heard these brands before, these distilleries. Um, I'm really curious what they might taste like. I might make a podcast based on the taste alone. Um, yeah. The other one, all four bottles made it intact. Like I said, they're not broken. Everything's fine. Amazon does a great job. Really enjoy this shit. And um, I also ordered from Amazon a Teeling whiskey, which is an, an Irish whiskey. Um, it's a very mild, mild, sweet taste of, of a whiskey. Um, it doesn't taste bitter in any way. It doesn't have an ugly, you know, aftertaste when you once you swallow it. It's, uh, I think, it is the most recommendable whiskey for everyone who wants to start tasting good whiskey. Forget Jack Daniels and Johnny Walker and all that crap. The best whiskey to try as a beginner is either Teeling or Kilkenny. Those two whiskeys, maybe some more brands, probably. I mean, there's a wide variety of whiskeys that you can actually purchase. But if you don't want to spend too much money and you'd like to have something that does taste kind of good, I would go for Kilkenny because it's cheaper. And the second option would be Teeling because the taste is better. It's a really, it's a good tasting whiskey. You can't do anything wrong with it. Unless you really want the smoky stuff, you know, the, the, the kick-ass, knocking your fucking socks off kind of whiskey, then I would recommend uh, Kilkoman, first and foremost, because personally, for my tongue and my taste, it's my absolute favorite whiskey. It's the best I've ever tried so far. And the Talisker would be close afterwards. Okay, Talisker is a, it's a pretty good whiskey, but it doesn't taste as smoky as I'd like it to be. There is something missing in the taste, but it's a very enjoyable whiskey, either way. So, um, of course, you can go with uh, older bottles being distilled God knows when. I mean, you can still get, uh, I think, a 20-year-old whiskey from Talisker, which probably tastes amazing. I don't know. I've never tried it. Now, the fifth bottle, uh, let's say, where is it? Where is that list? Hmm. Let me see. Oh, yes, yeah, right, right. Next week, I'm going to receive, maybe if I'm lucky on Monday, but it's probably going to be Tuesday, Glen Kinchy. Glen Kinchy, 12-year-old, single malt, scotch. So I ordered only scotch? What the fuck did I do? No. <laughs> nah, who cares? Who cares? I've never seen a bottle like this. I've never read the name. 
uh, Glen Kinchy. I have no idea what kind of a whiskey that is. Um, I don't really read much of the description of those whiskeys because I don't trust them very much. I just like to try them myself. And if I like the taste somehow, I keep it in my memory. I keep, keep the bottle in my collection over the fireplace to remind myself I should get one of those again. And um, another whiskey I'd like to have, because I forgot, um, is the so-called Smokehead Whiskey, which is also, like the name suggests, obviously a smoky whiskey. But um, I don't remember the taste as much anymore. I got it as a gift once as a form of payment because I did a, uh, a drawing and illustration for a friend of mine. And I, I told him, look, um, if you want to give me something instead of money, you can give me a whiskey. And I told him that I'm interested in smoky whiskeys, and she got me that. Uh, and I do remember the taste to be quite uh, interesting, but not fulfilling, I think. And I'd like to buy it again just to make some comparisons between the Kilkoman, um, uh, uh, the Talisker the, the whiskey, maybe uh, Atberg. I think Atberg is another smoky whiskey, but I could be wrong. There was something in my memory, and I forgot what that was. I think it was that whiskey. And compare it to Smokehead. And see where I'm lying with that taste, what suits me better. But I think, I think, there is no way around Kilcomen for me. <laughs> and sadly, I don't have a bottle right now because there was no bargain uh, for uh, this time of year. So I thought, you know, let's let's try some new stuff and see where that leads us. Mm. I cannot tell you how cool that is if you're sitting in front of your laptop. Well, no matter what you have, you're working on something. There's a fireplace next to you. The fire is crackling. You hear the noise. Um, it's a very comfortable evening. The lights are out. The only light that you have is the light from the fireplace and the screen that you're sitting in front of and working. Um, while I am actually writing my very own novel, the first one I've ever done and will do in the future probably, I'd like to complete it at some some point in life, and hopefully, uh, if I can get around to it next year. I have started, and I'm working on it almost every day, because it's a lot of fun, more fun so at the moment than painting, because the Peter Gabriel painting that I'm working on is still not right. I have to redo it again, and it's a bit frustrating at this point, so um, I'll probably work on it tomorrow. I don't feel like painting today that much, but... The story, the novel I'm writing is uh, the, I'm going step by step with it through various ideas and just writing from the stomach, you know, like, uh, like Stephen King does. Um, just for your information, I would never compare myself to a genius like Stephen King, nor anyone else. I'm just doing what I think is right for me, what feels good, uh, something that I can translate well to the keyboard and to this story by just writing from the heart, really, and just trying to craft the story. And yes, it is the story that I've mentioned earlier in another uh, podcast. I am focusing on necromancy. I want to write a story about raising the dead and uh, a few characters that play a role here. And I'm trying to craft everything together to make a proper beginning for the story. Um, I had one before where... Um, Let's say uh, the main protagonist is probably, I say probably because I'm not completely fixed on it yet, 
but it's going to be a girl, first and foremost. Uh, no, it's not going to be woke. I fucking hate that shit. It's, it's going to be a reasonable, uh, believe, hopefully believable storyline based on a girl with a troubled life, struggling, uh, having problems making friends, and losing her father at a very young age. And that's the introduction of the story where actually um, her father disappears. And the, the old version, the old idea I had, something that I did for, um, as, as a gig, or a, not a gig, sorry, um, as an experiment, writing down on a few pages what the story might be about. And I send it away to my, to, to my teacher from the online university. Uh, in case you're listening here for the first time, I'm, I'm studying in the background to become an author for basically children's books, maybe illustrating them as well in the future but mainly moving in these lines of writing stories, learning how to write to appeal to the younger audience and try to connect to them somehow. I find that very interesting, and I think I can have lots of fun with it, so that's why I'm doing this. And because of the idea of following a necromancy story, I have lots of ideas when it comes to this, and I'm sorting them out if I can use them or if they sound good, if they feel good, you know. Is it worth telling a story based on those ideas? I'm still trying to figure that out. But the old version was that um, her father disappears when she was eight or nine years old under mysterious circumstances and was never found. So that's where the story is supposed to begin. And I I have rewritten that story, the introduction, making it a bit more... Uh, more fantasy-based, much more dramatic, and um, a bit uh, more graphic, I think, to add more suspense to everything and just to give the reader uh, a clear idea of what the fuck this story might be about without revealing too much. But it's it's setting the tone pretty straightforward that this is a heavy fantasy story, okay? And I think that's okay. I think that's the best way for me personally to start this story. And the rest is still a mystery. I know what it's going to be about, and I know the ending for the story. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I found the beginning for the story, because that was harder. The ending is easy. And making an ending is just like the icing on a cake, because you know exactly what's going on. You know exactly what kind of story you want to tell. You don't know how you want to tell it in between. Most people, I think, don't. But if you have the ending already in your head and you know what it's about, everything else falls into place. And you can write a story about uh, the character, the situations, the the drama, the ups and downs in life and whatnot. So that's really cool. And uh, I'm going to write more about that. I'm going to finish the introduction and start chapter one in, let's say, a half an hour. Or maybe less, maybe more. (laughs) Um, I have a good feeling about this. I really do. It's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun and a, a huge challenge, and I love that. So, that's one thing that I'm focused on. Like I said, you know, painting-wise and drawing. I still have to make some illustrations for, a, for an old client of mine. Oh, I don't know when I'm going to get around to that. I don't feel much like drawing today or, let's say, like the rest of the week. I was very exhausted and very tired and just kept on reading and 
trying to get some ideas from the studies into my head in, in connection to my novel and maybe some, um, some tests I need to do and send back to the university. And maybe I can combine, combine those tests with, with that novel and see how it goes. I'm a little, I'm a little bit behind, but I always am. So <laughs> I don't worry too much. Um, when it comes to reading, reading, yeah, I did buy a book because I actually managed to see the Ghostbusters Afterlife film. And I was thinking about talking about that. I also wanted to talk about He-Man Revelations uh, Part 2 of, of, the, of the series, which I've also watched on Netflix in one take. I was heavily disappointed by that. Um, Netflix, you know, the, the He-Man story is just not really good. I am sorry, it is not. I understand why it could be to some, but for me personally, it's a huge letdown, and I thought I'm going to rant about He-Man and about that. And then I just, you know, realized while I was sitting here recording, talking about whiskey and all that, that the He-Man show is not really worth my breath. It's, it's really bad. It's just plain bad. And if I compare that to the fan service that Jason Reitman did on Ghostbusters Afterlife, um, I feel much more understood by him than anyone like Kevin Smith trying to recreate a He-Man experience for a generation that never existed. So that's disappointing. But I'm not, not really a huge He-Man fan, but I am a, a He-Man interested viewer, and I'd like to see some really awesome storylines that you have never seen before. And partially, partially, I really want to be careful here, partially the new terrain is interesting and has potential in Kevin Smith's version, but it's been poorly executed, and it doesn't feel like anybody was serious enough to give uh, the audience a good taste of what He-Man is supposed to be, or at least what the universe could be like. Instead, you become still the victim of this agenda movement of, you know, gender politics and whatnot. It's something that, ne it's a bad taste in your mouth that doesn't, doesn't fade away, that doesn't disappear. And I see it all the time, and it's, it's just, I instantly recognize it, which is why I have no fun in watching productions like these. Now, in Ghostbusters Afterlife, on the other hand, um, yes, it's true that the main protagonist in the movie is a girl, but uh, the story that was written for that person, for the girl, which is uh, uh, portrayed by McKenna Grace, and in case you don't know who that is, that, that, that girl is stunning in her performance and stunning acting-wise. She does a, a beautiful delivery and believable version of a too smart girl for her own good, so to speak, who, who is just necessary, really, to play a believable granddaughter, a gifted granddaughter from Egon Spengler, which is something that I was looking forward to because I really adored the character, I adored everything about Ghostbusters, and I really heavily adored Harold Ramis. Um, a swell guy, I, I wish I could have met him, I never did, unfortunately. And how could I? I mean, I'm, I live in a completely different world, and I'm not able to 
walk, you know, in downtown LA and just bump into him by, by accident or something or send him a fucking screenplay. But um, I'd like to get back to that topic at one point because I was a bit anxious and afraid that the ending could be slightly too cheesy, you know, when the Ghostbusters reunite and, you know, stuff like that because it was heavily rumored before and I don't think I'm giving away too much information. I don't want to spoil everything, but the fact is that the Ghostbusters actually come back. And the way it's being done is very short. Um, the final act of the movie is rushed, unfortunately. Um, the movie's not perfect. No, it's not, but it's beautiful. It has a lot of heart. Um, the aspect or the, the, the critique that I read, the criticism towards the movie that the, uh, Jason Reitman is pushing with too much fan service is not true at all. Really not. There is not too much fan service. It's a movie based on the same universe as the first two movies. And that being said, what else do you expect from a Ghostbusters movie to be a Ghostbusters movie and a story? So if you're doing too much fan service, then what the fuck is the point of actually continuing anything related to any story whatsoever? There has to be some kind of fan service. Or you cannot satisfy those people who actually pump tons of money into this franchise because it's fun. You can't blame these people. Fuck's sake. Because of the fans, the movies were successful. Especially the first one. The second one, I still love the second one, really. But, you know, what can you do? It's a, it's a copycat of the first one with a, basically a different storyline, but the formula is the same. Uh, different characters, and yet the formula is still the same. And it had to compete against 1989's Michael Keaton's Batman. So Ghostbusters lost against Batman. And that's pretty much it. If the Ghostbusters movie would have been more unique, uh, more original in writing, especially in, in its uh, type of formula, I think it could have beaten Batman quite easily. But uh, yeah, that's just wishful thinking on my part. But the ending of Ghostbusters Afterlife, I cannot talk about it. I tried to. I tried to talk to a friend of mine while drinking a cup of coffee at, at her place and uh, explaining to her why I love uh, the, the cast so much and the stories that I've always loved to watch, especially the cartoons and all that. And I explaining the ending to her because she doesn't really care too much about the movies and she wanted to know what happens in those movies, uh, in, in the latest one. And how the Ghostbusters get reunited. And I actually, really, I shit you not, I started crying trying to explain what happens in the ending with Phoebe and, you know, um, uh, the interpretation or the encounter with Egon Spangler in the movie. Of course, Egon is dead. Harold Ramis has died 2014. So they, uh, Jason Reitman had an idea how to implement him into the story to make it work somehow and, you know, to give fans and other people a kind of goodbye to the character and to Harold Ramis just the same. The whole film is written for Harold, which I wholeheartedly believe, and it was something that I was hoping to see, really hoping to see. Actually, I was fantasizing about a very similar ending before seeing the movie. So watching the movie and then really getting what I was fantasizing about 
hit me really hard. I was emotionally an absolute wreck in that moment because I really love these guys. And seeing them together again, even though it's a bit cheating, you know, in the end, it's for some people it might be too too cheesy. I, I don't think it's going to satisfy everyone. But I do believe that a diehard fan who just loved these characters is going to, he's going to shed a few tears over this, this scene because it's really, it's, it's heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time. It's beautifully done. Um, I don't want to talk too much about it and, and go through the details with you. You have to see it for yourself. It's going to crack me up again. It's going to, not crack me up, it's going to tear me apart. <laughs> it's, it's really tough for me to watch, to be honest. It's, it's that good. And I'm not making this up. It's, for me personally, exactly what I wanted with the situation that we have that Harold Ramis is not there anymore. And because of that, because I was emotionally so moved by the picture and really surprised what Jason Reitman did there, um, even though it's a small-scale movie, it's nothing really big, but it's a beautiful told story and quite nicely done with a cast that I would like to see again in the future with, you know, more Ghostbusters adventures. And I really hope they do that, implementing maybe Ernie Hudson or Dan Aykroyd into the mix as a background character. They don't need to be in the foreground anymore. They're too old, basically. I would like to see Bill Murray as well, but I think, I don't, I don't know how interested he would be considering his age to actually reprise Peter Venkman again. So um, we all know that Bill can be you know, a bit uh, difficult to work with, I guess, or has a, a negative opinion about recasting, uh, or not recasting, but reprising his role for a character that he did in the 80s multiple times right now in the future. So uh, we have to wait and see what happens. As far as I can tell, I think the movie has been a success and was rel pretty well received by most people, with the exception of those diehard 2016 reboot fans who wanted to see Jason Reitman fail, uh, which is not the case by any means. I mean, if you like the 2016 movie, it's fine, but you cannot compare the two because the 2016 movie is still a reboot and is going to stay a reboot. Will nothing be more than a reboot in a completely different type of universe based on the original idea? Not more, not less. That's the deal. This movie, Afterlife, like the name suggests, is a continuation, the continued story, a sequel to the original, and that's that. That's it. There's nothing to argue about. They're two different things. Shut the fuck up. Thank you. So, hmm. I love this wine. To close this podcast... What I've been doing in the background, because I said I was reading a lot, I have ordered a book. I can tell you what the... Um, the, the title is Ghostbusters' Daughter, which is uh, written by Harold Ramis' daughter. And I stumbled across this book uh, a while ago, because after he died, he... Um, he obviously made a very positive impact on his family and his, his daughter. And she was, you know, grieving so much that she wanted to write a book about him and the relationship she had with him in order to move on, I, I, I think, and to share 
the life experience that she had about this very interesting, generous, decent man. And um, I, th I thought to myself, why not? I'm going to buy this book. I want to know what uh, what Harold was, was like. I'd like to know what he did. And I didn't know that he was such a diehard stoner, that he was, he was high many times in his life, even high during, you know, the... Uh, the old days when he made movies like Animal House or Caddyshack. I mean, he was fucking stoned. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. He took acid too and LSD and all that crap. But Jesus Christ, man. Hmm. What a dude, huh? And still remaining his genius. Or maybe even gaining more through those drugs. I don't know. I personally don't take drugs. Uh, I'm not really uh, fond of the idea. But to each their own and... Mr. Ramis did a very interesting experience with those drugs, and he never lost control. He always kept uh, focused on his family, his, uh, his daughter, and he very focused his friends. Very generous man, from what I can tell so far. And I think, you know, uh, the daughter's name is, her name is Violet Steele, actually. Violet, um, Violet Steele now, Violet Ramis Steele in, conjun in com uh, connection to family. And I have read, I think, the first good portion of, of the book. It's uh, fun to read. I like what she's been writing. I like what she's been revealing about her relationship with Harold and, you know, going through uh, briefly all those movie projects. And um, it's, I needed to read this book to find closure. I know it sounds ridiculous, you know, because I've never met the guy. I'm nobody important. I don't, people like me don't matter to, you know, people like them, at least maybe if they knew me at some point in life, which is never the case, of course. But I'm just an audience member, just some, some dude who loved the movies and who just was uh, emotionally surprised and affected by what Harold Ramis did. And uh, um, when he died, it was really, uh, I was legit crying at the day when that happened. I was really upset. I was, I was hurt that this happened. I didn't know that he was sick. And he, he was a hero for me personally, just like all the others, like Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and all that, even though I do criticize Dan Aykroyd mostly for his um, whacked ideas. I mean, <laughs> the first draft of Ghostbusters is interesting, but it's not doable as a movie. So Harold Ramis has to, you know, step in and, and save the day by making it actually really good. Um, no, no disrespect to Dan Aykroyd, really. I, I do love the guy. Mm. And when he passed, it was like, um, like something is lost inside of you. It would be the same if, like, my favorite musician, Peter Gabriel, would... Would uh, in the near future, uh, hopefully not, but at some point in life, he will uh, perish just like everyone else will. And if that happens, I will be uh, genuinely sad. It's it's going to hit me really hard because he was important and still is very very important in my life. Uh, so is his music and uh, everything he did, his lyrics, his um, his humanitarian work as well. His his, um, his words and wisdom are quite um, understandable. They're logical. They're decent. Um, I think he's a very good example of what a human being should be like. And I think I can say that because he is authentic in his, in his approach to people, in his own personal representation. It never feels like 
He's uh, trying to act like a different person. I think Peter is just who he is, and that's it. And Harold Ramis was the same. And I react to those people quite positively because I think I can see an honest reflection of themselves and ultimately of myself. I feel a connection right away. That's one of the reasons why I liked Harold Ramis so much and why I enjoyed his performances and his movies. And when he left, when he, when he disappeared, it was hard. It was, it, it was a sad day, and it kept me grieving for a couple of weeks. And because I think that the world lost a very important, um, a good positive influence, a force of, 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 of unique... Um, I'm still looking for the proper words, what to say. I mean, I don't want to, you know, cherish him and, and worship him like a god, but for fuck's sake, he was a really good fellow, okay? And there, a lot of people can actually state the same, and you don't find many, many people like him these days, especially with a crooked industry like, like Hollywood. I mean, please, just look at what's happening out there. Look at the pr uh, productions these days. Look at fucking Netflix, what they're doing. Right? Not everything is gold. Of course not. Mostly is just a cash grab. Milking, milking a cow until it fucking dies. That's the principle. That's the philosophy of Hollywood. Or let's say let Disney in its current state and form. It's, it's not really fun to play with. And I don't think it's fun to work for these guys. But Harold was a believer in his own independent way of thinking. And, and following movie concepts and, and, and productions. And he also felt very differently in how to see his own life and how to reflect on tragedies, on uh, how you should live your life, not according to him personally, but just according to uh, common sense and human decency. And I think those values are pretty hard to find. So when he left, when he died, it was uh, like a beacon of hope just disappeared. You know, and... Um, I would have loved to say that to him, that he uh, provides such a profound uh, potential that he can, that is contagious to other people. You know, you can learn a thing or two from people like him. And I think you should. So in order just to get through this, you know, when, the, the point I'm making is when, when he died, I was sad. I knew that, you know, we would never have something of value uh, that would come anew from his brain. Uh, I'm not sure who would ever, f you know, fit his, his his footsteps and just follow what he did. I don't think anybody will, really, in, in the near future. But he left some really cool stuff behind, and he still touched millions of people worldwide with his work. And uh, yet, you know, most of us fans, uh, and especially those who, you know, enjoyed his work on Ghostbusters, we couldn't find any closure because the guy was missing and we didn't know really how to cope with that. Um, at least that's how I feel about it. And now seeing the movie and the moving ending that Jason Reitman did, which, like I said, some people might find a bit disturbing, maybe even cheesy or disrespectful even. But I don't think it should be received like that. There is no reason to. Uh, Jason Reitman did just a very respectable job of dealing with the source material and an appropriate manner and respecting Harold Ramis 
the same way. At least that's how I see it. So when I saw the movie and the ending, I was uh, really, my heart stopped almost. You know, it was, like I said, he did something that I fantasized about and it worked really well. At least in my opinion, it did. And I was moved tremendously that now I can find as a fan closure through the film and through the book of his daughter and um, just I think I can wrap everything up and just read into things that I didn't know before because the book was was published after he died but right now I think is for me the perfect time to just finish one chapter off in following someone who was important to me someone I I, I, I loved someone I respected heavily and now I can wrap this up I can read the story that she wrote and the experience and I can understand who that person really was I can understand the value that he left behind the impact he he did on people I can enjoy the movie for what it is look forward to hopefully some more interesting unique Ghostbuster stories and uh yeah that's it that's just really what I think and um I had a good time watching the film I really can't say too much negative stuff about it. There are some downsides to the movie. It's, like I said, not a perfect movie, but it's a, it's a good film. It's not just okay. It's a really good film. And I'm happy that we can get something, something like this without any kind of politics and gender-focused nonsense. It's just let the movie be a movie, independent way beyond, far away from any political madness. We don't need that. Movies should be movies, and that's it. Well, that's all for now. I have to get back to work, guys. It's Saturday. It's uh, a beautiful day. It's cold outside. It's uh, zero degrees. But um, it's kind of comfy, cozy in my own apartment. So... That's all. It's, there's nothing really spectacular going on except work. So I just wanted to, you know, stick my head out and say hi to everybody, whoever's listening, and uh, give you a heads up, ramble a, a bit, uh, drinking, obviously. And hopefully you're all doing well. I hope you're um, still healthy and keep your heads down during the COVID crisis. And uh, hopefully... Everything will get maybe back to normal next year. Who knows? And if not, well, if you're bored and you want to listen to some ridiculous podcasts, you know where to find me. Until then, I wish you all the best. See you soon. Bye-bye.